Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. Before you're seated today, let me just say this. If you've been paying attention to the words that we've been singing today, uh, all of them really set the stage for what it is that we're going to talk about. Um, and, and that is that, that regardless of everything that's happening right now in the world and in your life, I know, I know that there are, there are, there are people right now that are, that are struggling with the loss of a loved one, and there are people that are struggling with illnesses and disease that they don't have answers to, and there's fear in them, and there's fear in their family. I don't know what it is that your struggle is that you're going through, but as we've been singing today, God's over all of it. He's got this. He's got you. He's taking care of it, and he's proven it because he's already taken care of the worst case scenario that could happen in all of our lives, and, and that is to be separated from him for all of eternity. And he sent his son to rescue us from that all by his work nothing that we've done Jesus rescues rescues us from the worst case scenario which is eternal separation but but now everything in between he's the one that brings hope and he's the one that brings peace in circumstance he's the one that brings joy when we need it he's the one that lifts our spirits when we're down in the dumps he's the one that binds us as believers all together. It's all by His hand. It's all by His work. Jesus is bigger. If you need to hear that today, He's bigger. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever your struggle is, whatever your worry is, whatever causes that anxiety within you, Jesus, He's not just bigger, He's the solution to all of it. He just says, just trust me with it. I've got this. Jesus, as we move now into this incredible word that that. Father, you have given to us for us to know more about you and more about this world and about others and how we're supposed to live in it. Would you, above all things, continue to reveal to us who you are so that it can change our way of the way we see the world, the way that we understand you, and that we could just live differently, but with a smile on our face and with peace, even in the midst of of whatever it is that we've got going on. Because you're the rescuer, you're the redeemer. We give you praise and we give you glory in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. It's great to have everybody here today. We know we talked about it already, the weather outside. and uh, So I know that there's probably a lot more people probably they wanting to tune in online just because it's tough to get out on your, in your, on your roads. Um, if you're here and right now you're sitting going, these songs are not, it doesn't seem like the songs we usually sing. We usually sing a lot more just hymns and choir. It's because you didn't set your clock ahead, right? You missed first service, okay? And you're old and uh, you, need to, you need to get rid of your flip phone, <laughs> all right? <laughs> Whatever. All right, so, uh, and we love you. Uh, there are great rivalries that exist in this world. Coke and Pepsi, Yankees and the Red Sox, Democrats, Republicans, cats and dogs. Uh, yesterday, uh, you know, people love me so so much. They know that I love the North Carolina Tar Heels, 
and they're terrible this year. And their rivals, Duke, uh, Blue Devils, they have devils in their name. It just says a lot. Uh, they, like, won the championship. And, oh, all of my friends just love to send me pictures and, uh, you know, messages about their victory. And, you know, because, I mean, we're, we're going to have an altar call later and they can come forward and repent of all of that. Um, but when it comes to rivalries, uh, it's one against the other. It's one fighting for the power, one fighting for the victory, and that's the world that we live in. And today I want to talk about the, the most powerful rivalry that is out there, and that is the battle between good and evil. Or more specifically, uh, the battle that, that happens between uh, Satan and, and God. And what we're going to talk about today is which side are you on, right? It's very basic. Uh, what side do you fight for? And, and, and what are you hoping for in the middle of all of that? When it comes to rivalries, some people are extremely passionate, but without the proper perspective on all of it. There's a lot of rivalries that are out there, whether it's sports or, or, or politics. you got to have the right perspective or, or what, or it's going to get ugly. And then in the midst of it, it's not just a little bit of, uh, of just kind of fun. All of a sudden, it becomes mean, and it becomes dangerous, and it gets really, really ugly. Look at the world that we're living in today and, and sides that people take on all sorts of even just issues. Um, how do we live in the tension of the battle between good and, and evil, the battle that exists between uh, God and, and his enemy. Jesus is going to talk about this in this parable that we look at today in uh, Matthew chapter 13. As we said last week, a parable is an, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, we, we read this passage that Jesus, he just shares this short little narrative and, and we're supposed to take from it uh, some application as to what we're supposed to understand about how this world uh, operates. Uh, and so in chapter 13, today I want to read for you uh, verses 24 through 30. And then I just want to explain uh, kind of just where Jesus is going just with that story. And then what happens is that, is that there's a few more parables that he tells and then he kind of goes home with the disciples, and the disciples sit him down there, hey, could you explain that parable to us? And then we're going to walk through Jesus' explanation. But would you just stand with me as I read uh, the parable of the weeds? Some of you, it might, uh, your Bibles might say the wheat and the tares. I'll explain that in a bit. Jesus put a parable before them and said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed out in his field. But while the, his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and they went away. When the plants came up and they bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you will root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat 
into my barn. This is God's Word, the words of Jesus. You can have a seat. Now, just to begin, as we move through this, I, I said last week that chapter 13 is going to have a lot of parables. And, and it's not necessarily that one parable uh, builds into the other one or that we're supposed to take what we understood from one story and it applies to the next story because the first parable that Jesus talked about was the scattering of seed into different soils. And there's always really one kind of ultimate meaning that Jesus has, a reason that he's telling this story for his disciples to understand. And remember, as, as Paul Ewing shared with us about the scattering of seed, it's about sharing the gospel everywhere they go. It's going to fall on all sorts of soil. Our job is not to figure out which soil we should, we should sow, should sow that seed in, but that we're just supposed to go and sow. Now it's a new story, new meaning, new characters. The seed means something else. Uh, and, and so Jesus gives it to the disciples, and they want to know, we need to know what you're talking about. He starts by, by helping them to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like or can be compared to. Really early on, Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, before Jesus ever shows up on the scene, we know that his cousin, John the Baptist, shows up in the world, sent by God to proclaim, get ready because the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. It's this idea of all that you've hoped for, all that you've wanted, the dominion of God over this earth is about to, to come to fruition through the Messiah coming. That was John's job. And then we look in Matthew chapter 4, and Jesus comes out of the desert victorious, having defeated Satan and withheld uh, his temptation. And Jesus comes out, and Matthew 4 tells us that from then on, as Jesus began his ministry, he went out and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, I'm the fulfillment. Uh, of, of the promise of the kingdom. In other words, God's dominion rules now over this earth. And I'm the king. Matthew uses the phrase 32 times, the kingdom of heaven. It's important. And Jesus says, so it can be compared uh, to a man who went out to sow good seed in his field. Galilee, uh, that region. Well, we know uh, that Israel... In Israel, when I was, um, took a tour of Israel, we were told that there's really ultimately not a plant in the world that can't be taken to Israel, planted, and it won't grow and, and bear incredible fruit. We know that from just reading the Old Testament and God's promise that, that this is an incredible land. But it's fertile soil, and there are, uh, a lot like North Dakota, amber waves of grain everywhere. And Jesus, his parables always took whatever was happening kind of around him, and he would use that as a story. It was visual illustration. So you can picture that he's there with a crowd, and he's uh, teaching, and there's just a huge wheat field. And he says, let me, let me just, uh, let me say that the kingdom of heaven is, is a lot like this. And people would want to know, really tell us more. He says, while the farmer's servants were asleep, an enemy came and sowed bad seed uh, among the good seed. They sowed weeds among the wheat. Uh, a lot of people have done a lot of extensive study on this, and they all agree that that weed actually, I don't know anything, trust me, I don't know anything about farming other than what farmers do tastes incredible. 
Um, but, but that weed is known as, as Darnell. Uh, and it's known by farmers as wheat's evil twin. In other words, it looks just like wheat. You really can't tell the difference until it comes to full maturity. And the bad thing about this weed is that it's not just uh, that its roots, as Jesus says, its roots tangle up with uh, wheats. It's actually a poisonous weed. That if you would eat it in large quantities, you would die almost instantly. That if you eat it in really small quantities, you, you go crazy. Shakespeare has a play called King Lear, and, and King Lear wears a crown made of Darnell, and it's this idea that throughout the, the, the play, he's picking and he's eating, and he gets crazier and crazier to the point of where he goes absolutely insane because that's what Darnell does. Its Latin name is Lolium Temulentum. I couldn't get it through the first service either. And, and, and it, it actually means drunk. That, that's what it does when you take it in small quantities. The parable is not far-fetched uh, that someone would do this because there, was actually, there were actually laws that were made by the Roman government uh, during that time in the land of Israel that if you were ever caught sowing Darnell into someone else's field of wheat, uh, that you would be put to death because you were considered to be a murderer in what you were, were trying to do. That was uh, the, kind of the, the quiet way that, that someone could get back at maybe a, a neighboring farmer that encroached on their land. Maybe they got into a fight and maybe they just didn't like their family and so they would sow this type of a plant among the weeds because you really, if you're not paying attention, you wouldn't even know. Because it's hard to tell the difference. So Jesus, being the great storyteller that he was, all of a sudden is speaking to the people of what's happening in the day, and he would have their attention. The kingdom of heaven is like a field that someone went in and, and did something evil. They sowed death among what it is that's supposed to bring life. And he says that when the plants grew and came up, then the weeds appeared. And everyone understood that, that in a field of wheat, you really wouldn't know what was wheat and what wasn't until ultimately it was time for the harvest, when, when the grain would start to, to really sprout, when, in other words, when it could bear its own fruit. So the farmer's servants come to the, the master of the house and, and they asked the question, didn't, didn't you sow good seed? And the farmer says, it wasn't me. The enemy did that. I, I only sow good seed. It was the enemy that came in and sowed the bad seed. And the servants, being great servants that they are, said, well, you want us to go out there and, and, and pull up all the, the bad seed, all the, all the, the darnell, all the weeds? We, that's, I mean, that's what we should do, right? That's our job, to make sure that, that, that your name isn't tainted, to make sure that, that what your mission is would succeed. Like, we should go and get rid of all the bad stuff, right? And see where I'm going with this? And, and, and the, the farmer said, leave it alone. That's not your job. That's my job. I'll take care of it when it's time for the harvest. 
Uh, I'll let you know, but, but I've got workers that are going to take care of that uh, when it comes time. Because one of the worst parts about having this darnel in your field is that the roots spread underneath and entangle underneath. And so what this farmer says, I don't want you to do it because in pulling up the bad, you also risk damaging the good. So leave it alone. Let both grow until the harvest, and then I'll tell the reapers at that time to go and gather them both. They'll separate them. I'll burn the weeds, and we will gather the wheat in the barn. <clears throat> Jesus, as I said, would go on and tell a couple more parables. And in verse 36, the disciples come to him, and they say, Hey, we're a little confused about that whole wheat and weeds thing. Could you, could you explain it to us? This is what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, the one who sows the good seed is me, is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. We would say true believers in Jesus. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. The reapers are angels. I mean, he couldn't have made it any more clear. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, Jesus said, this is really important. Don't, don't forget this one. Because you're going to want to forget it. You're going to want to stray. But live into this. The first thing that he's really explaining to them is to understand that the sowing that is done is happening supernaturally. That, that there is a battle that is going on for the lives of people that is so much bigger than human, than, than us. See, as we move into kind of this, this explanation, what we need to understand is that this conversation that's taking place between only Jesus and the disciples, the, one that he's, the ones that he's going to invest in to say, you are going to carry on the mission after I'm gone of taking the message of who I am out into the world, the message of rescue and redemption, this message of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. And he's going to need to invest in this young group of immature guys who at the time would have been really wondering, if you're the Messiah, if you're the promised one, if the kingdom of heaven is here, then, then why is there still bad stuff happening? If the kingdom of heaven is here, then, then why is there evil in the world? How often do we ask that question? God, if you're God, then why do bad things still happen here? Ultimately, what we get to is this answer. The whole idea of this text is that God says, that's for me to know. And don't worry about it, because I'm taking care of it. I've got a plan. I'm going to handle all of it. Your job is to be the wheat. Your job is to keep making disciples see at the time there, there was no church this church was being the, just the foundation was being established on christ and the disciples who would 
would be going out. There are a number of theologians that I really respect that say that this parable actually is, talks about the church. That it's about that there are true believers in the church and there are those that look like believers that are imitators. The problem is, is that they don't study the original text because the word that Jesus uses that when he says the field is the world, the word that he uses is cosmos, which means the universe or that which is in the universe or the world, the earth. So Jesus makes it really clear. You need to understand that there will be those that are going to be followers of me in this world, and there will be those that will not be followers, that will reject me. The good seed, uh, the good pl- plants, the wheat, and, and the bad plants, the tares. The one who sows the seed is me. That's the gospel. It's the good news. It's my activity, Jesus says, in the world of rescuing and redeeming. The assumed question the disciples would have had was, well, if you're the king, why don't you just, why don't you just create one pure society? Why don't you wipe out all of the evildoers? So Jesus explains it in this passage. The one who sows the good seed is me, the son of man. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. This is typical Jewish thought, extremes. Those that follow Jesus and those that follow Satan. We don't, we don't have to say they worship Satan. It's just that they're, they're following his pattern and his ways, emulating evil in their lives. Jesus says the weed are those that the gospel has reached. The weeds are those that the devil has control over, those that have rejected the truth. They're not, they're not possessed by the devil. They're not also just merely sinners because we're all guilty of, of that. But this is those that are, he's describing those that are lost in it. Because as John says in chapter 3, verse 19, they don't believe because they love the darkness. They've they've rejected Christ. 1 John 3 says, if you make a practice of sinning, you do not abide in Christ. And verse 8 says, so that would make you of the devil. You're a product of the devil, just like we are sons of the kingdom because we are products of God's work and redemptive work, that if you, if you rejected that, then you are a product of, of evil or of the devil. Verse 10 says, this is evident uh, who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever doesn't practice righteousness or love his brother is a child of the devil. The important thing for us to understand as Jesus explains this to the disciples is that in it, the main character is the farmer. It's it's himself at the center of all of it. The enemy in the story, the one who wants to see the kingdom destroyed, is the devil. We aren't the central focus. Just like in the Word of God, it's not about us, it's about God. We try to figure out where we fit in all of it. People lost in sin are not spoken of in here as the enemy. The devil is the enemy. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, we need to always remember, when, when we see evil in the world, when we see lives that seem to be living evil lives and and 
and even if they look like they love sin and the things of this world, and we get, we get tempted constantly to be pulled into sin by a million different ways, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.12 to remember this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against uh, the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't think, I can even say for myself, there's so often, so often, uh, that, uh, that I lose that perspective. That I in some way think that, that sin and evil is, is created by people. And then what do I end up doing? Uh, I, I put that on them. And, and I end up talking about them and talking against them and rejecting them and keeping them far from me. Because I forget that, that Scripture says, remember whether whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is, whether it's relationships or whether it's illness or, or whether it's anxiety, we could nev- should never forget that we wrestle against powers of darkness. It's the, the supernatural battle that is going on for the souls of men. Because God desires that none should perish and Satan desires that everybody should. And so there is a battle. So when there's stuff going on in our lives, if we acknowledge that what's going on in me is this wrestle, I'm being pulled in two separate directions. As Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I know that I should do, which is actually what I want to do, that we don't sit down and beat ourselves up, but we just go, there is a battle for my soul. Uh, That must mean that, that there must be a God that loves me, and there also must be an enemy that knows that that I'm valuable in the kingdom, that I actually can make an impact, that there are lives out there that I could actually take the gospel to and change, and he doesn't want to see that happening. Oh, that should focus us on following Jesus closer every day, to say, Jesus, I, I'm, I, I, know, I know that you're not going to lose the war, because Scripture tells us that. You read through the book of Revelation, and he is victorious 100%, but we just say, if I can play any role in making sure you don't lose a battle... In this war, I'm in. But we have to acknowledge the fight that is taking place for the souls of people. And I love how Paul continues in Ephesians 6. He he said, because you read that and like, okay, so what what can I do? Because if there's a battle that's happening supernaturally between uh, God and the devil, what's my role? And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. First of all, put on the full armor of God. Armor is for protection. Because... He says that the enemy is going to be slinging some fiery arrows at you that you're going to need protection from. But I love how we don't talk about this a lot, but how do I fight? Let me in the fight. I, I, want, to, I want to win. I want to take some chunks of armor out of the enemy and his angels. What am I supposed to do? And here's what Paul says. He says, here's what I want you to do. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray. That's your role. That's your job. Get on your knees and fight. It says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Make supplication, not just for yourself, but he says, but for all the saints. We've got to be a people of prayer. If there is one massive conviction that I have had, I would say in, in recent time, is that, 
is that we at Century Baptist need to be a praying church more than we ever have been before. God is doing great things, and I just think, what, what more would he like to do through Century Baptist if we would all just get on our knees and be praying for each other? That we'd be protected from, from the evil that, that Satan wants to, to work, and that we would just pray that God would do great things. Because Paul continues and says, while you're praying, he says, pray supplication for all the saints and pray for me that I would boldly share the gospel. That's the prayer. That's how we fight the fight. We stay strong, we put on the full armor of God, we protect ourselves with what it is that he has given to us, and then we pray, give me boldness now to go out and do what I'm supposed to do. Understand that that there is a supernatural war that is going on. And that's what Jesus says. I planted the seed, and the enemy came along, the devil, and doesn't want to see it grow. Well, what should we do? What do you want us to do? And the answer is patient endurance. That's that's what he says. That's our role. I don't know about you. I'll admit it. I'm guilty of this. Uh, So many times in life and in ministry, I want to be the farmer's servants. Let me add them. Right? You you mean to tell me that there's, there's evil people out there? Sick me on them. I'll do some weed pulling. I would love to. I'll, I'll get my tools in there. We're going to dig it out. We're going to destroy them. We're going to rip them apart. We all know this because we, if you've ever pulled weeds, you, you don't just pull weeds. You, you grab tight and you yank and there's a hole that's left there. And that's what, that's what Jesus says. That the farmer says, no, no, no. Because in doing so, you might damage the good stuff the way that you want to do it. You want to get in there violently. You want to make it happen. You want to rip somebody to shreds up and down all you want, and that's your job. Your job is to, is to what? To be wheat, which does what? It, it sprouts grain that can be taken again and planted. In other words, Jesus is saying your job is to be a disciple who makes disciples. My, my angels will take care of of the justice that you want served on people. And it'll come in my time, in the end. Trust me on this. I don't want you to do any more damage as you try to dig up that soil. Listen, first of all, understand this. Um, This is not a message about tolerance at all. This is not a message about that Jesus is giving about passivity. In other words, don't worry about don't worry about the sin in the world. I'll take care. That, that's not it at all. Be, why? Because that doesn't fit with the rest of scripture and, and what we are told. We're told as Christians, do not be tolerant of sin. But our role is in taking care of that is to shine a light on it. To expose it by proclaiming the truth. I love the way that Paul instructs Timothy to teach believers, young believers in this church. He, he says, Timothy, here's what you need to do. Don't fight with words. Do not quarrel, he says. Because it's only going to ruin 
the hearers. Understand? That's what Jesus is saying. I don't want you going and yanking up the weeds because you're going to take the good stuff with it. You're going you're to destroy all the work that needs to take place. And so I don't want you to get quarrelsome, Paul says, because it's going to ruin the hearers. They're not going to want to listen to your message. And you might say, well, I don't care if they don't want to listen. My job is just to proclaim it. No, your job is to be faithful, to be obedient to what Christ has called you to do. And he says in his word, do not be quarrelsome because it will ruin hearers. It will upset the faith of some. And in verse 24, Paul says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Teach, in other words, go and, and in that relationship, proclaim the gospel and patiently endure evil by correcting your opponents with gentleness so that God would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they would come to their senses, that they would escape from the snare of the devil because they've been captured by him to do his will. That is a, that is a powerful, powerful message from Paul. Don't tolerate sin, but see it for what it is. That people, are, people are ensnared by the devil, right? They, they've, they've given into his ways. They've rejected Christ. Well, 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 so what should we do, right? We're freedom fighters. We go out and go, man, you're so stupid. You're an idiot for believing what you believe. Why don't you, what are you, all these things that you're doing, you're so vile and evil and you're filthy. And Paul says, don't, if you do that, you're disobedient to what it is that Scripture has called you to do. Because what you're doing there is you're just pushing them away. Because your job is not to convict. My job is... Even as I stand up here as a preacher, is not to, to try to make people feel guilty. My job is to speak the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the work in our souls. And I will tell you that all the message that you get every Sunday is one that I have to look at every day as I prepare to speak it. And it does, a lot of times, a really painful work in my own heart. But I love what Paul says. He says, Patiently endure evil, not tolerate it, but understand that it's in the world. But the way that you can endure it is that you know that you, yes, you have to go and correct, he says, your opponents, but you do it with gentleness, and then in that, God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they would come to their senses and escape being ensnared by the devil. Scott Swain, a theologian, says, Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is a form of strength that enables a distinctive kind of agency that in the long run is the most productive kind of agency because it bears a harvest of righteousness. That's exactly what Jesus said. There's a textbook that's used in studying uh, weeds. It's called the Journal of Ethnobiology. Listen, you know that I googled that, right? I don't have that in my library. But it talks about Darnell, and it says wherever there is Darnell, there is treachery and toxicity. In other words, everywhere that there is this weed, there is poison and death. That's the weeds, not the wheat. But this book that I do have in my library, a lot of them actually, just like you, says that, that wherever there is wheat, wherever there are believers, there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
and self-control. We need to call sin, sin. We cannot be passive about it. Why? Because it's treachery and it's toxicity. It is killing people. We definitely need to protect ourselves from it. But called to be the light of the world, we shine with the truth of the gospel to illuminate that people would then see what it is that that they are trapped in and they can be rescued from it. I think of a lifeguard at a pool. Their job is to save lives of people that when they realize that they're in danger. But I've never been on the beach with a lifeguard who sees somebody in danger who sits there going... You, you deserve it, right? You fool. You should have known better. You can't swim. How dumb are you? But I can tell you that I, I hear a lot of Christians speak that way to lost people. You deserve to be lost. Look at the life that you're living. Look at the, the, the lifestyle that you follow. You know? And, and then begin to almost salivate when we talk about the wrath of God. Like, oh, the wrath of God. How awesome is that going to be when he destroys all of the sinners? That's not our attitude. Our attitude should be, I want to help you. I want to help you rescue you from that. I want to give you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so you can see that you're drowning and there is a way out. So anything I can do to help you, to keep you from that. Paul says in Titus 3.3, when we see it, remember that we too... We too were once foolish, he says. We too were once disobedient. We too were once led astray. We too were once slaves to passions and pleasures and devoted to malice and envy. We too were once hating each other. But then the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And he what? And he rescued us. We're not special. God rescued us. In our sin... All according to his mercy. We just need to help people see and hear Jesus to rescue them. Because he's the embodiment of the fruit that we're called to produce. Be Jesus. Let him do the heavy lifting. He says he will. And then understand, as we wrap this up, that, that he says that there will be righteous results. That there will come a day when in his time he will separate the wheat from the weeds And he will burn the weeds and he will put the the wheat in the barn. We will spend forever of all eternity, those that are followers of him, with him. Another answer to patient endurance is understanding that God is slow to anger. He's not driven by it. It doesn't drive him. Numbers 14, 18 says, God will by no means clear the guilty. At all. There, there is a punishment that is to come for those that reject. Sin does anger him, but he'll take care of it in his time. In the middle of all of it, he sent his son to rescue us from that sin. God's not tolerant of evil. We can't be tolerant of evil. But just remember that the destruction of evil, that's not our task. That's not our job. That's his I've heard it said that you can't stop evil without becoming evil yourself. Because it's not your role. It's just going to be irritating and aggravating. and Lead us down a dark path. The question is, do we care enough about people regardless of their decisions to save them from eternal 
misery. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, that it's the devil that has blinded people. He's blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. Why? To keep them from seeing the light. The light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So what does that tell us? That i got to shine brighter and brighter every day to help people get rescued from the snares of the enemy. And Jesus says, if we let God be God, let Him do the work. Once it's all separated, then we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Death, evil, sin, the lost, sinners, they're all going to exist until Christ's return and that final victorious battle when He takes care of it all. 1 Corinthians 15.24 says that, that Jesus is going to come again and He's going to put a final end to anything that rises up against the Father. He'll destroy every rule, every authority, every power. He'll put all enemies under His feet, will destroy death forever. And when He does, He will then take in His hands the kingdom and He will present it to God as a gift. Pure, holy, and righteous. Our job is to trust that He will do what He always says He will do. Let's take the message of the gospel out into the world. The message of this incredible kingdom. This morning, if, if you would say, you know what, I think, uh, I don't want to admit it, but I think, I'm, I, think I'm, I think I'm the weed. I think I'm kind of more like Darnell. I think I kind of not only bring the poison, but I know why it's there, because my heart, I feel like my heart's poisoned. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll rescue you from that. I've got a solution for that. It's me. Follow after me. As believers here today, let's continue to trust that, that God is going to take care of all the things that we need Him to take care of. We just need to be faithful in what it is He's asked us to do. Be who He's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is so beautiful. These short little stories, as small as they are, have packed such a powerful meaning and, and they do a powerful work in our souls when we let you do the work. God, just in the study of this passage, I admit I wanted it to say more. I wanted it to sting more but even in reading it understanding just how good you are that we can just trust you that you're taking care of all things father help us to stand strong against uh, what the devil wants to do in our own lives help us to be living examples of jesus everywhere that we go so that we could shine the light of truth and the gospel in people's lives, that they would just, they would see the good works that we do and glorify you. That we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even have to say much other than the truth. I pray that you would lead us to people who are lost, Father, because they need answers. I pray that you'd help us to be a people of prayer, 
that we would pray for, for ourselves, that we would be bold in sharing the gospel, that we would pray for each other, that we would be a church that would be bold in taking the gospel out to our city and to our world, and that you would do an incredible work. But start in our hearts, God. Help us to let you be you. We long for that day when, Jesus, you return and you put an end to anything that doesn't look like you. But we pray that in that day that we will look like you. We give you glory and praise. Amen.